This is Coeur d'Alene Heights, Episode 6. Coeur d'Alene Heights, a local show for local people. I'm your host, Patrick, here with you every Monday, recording live for the beautiful people of the great state of North Idaho. That's you. We have a great show for you today. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you always can at cdaheights at gmail.com. We love feedback, and go ahead and leave us a review, a thumbs up, or a comment wherever you may be hearing this, if you like. What you hear, please share the show. All right, so today we'll be touching on a common theme of this show in this state in general, and that's hiking. We have two articles here, one covering the joy joy and history of hiking, and the other, the history of Tubbs Hill. Now, many of us have taken the beautiful walk on this wonderful gem of a hike. Now, we'll learn a little bit about the history. But first, I want to talk about something that folks have been discussing online, and that is the current state of movies. So right now you have a couple movies that are out right now that people are talking about, and also you have the writer's strike and the actor's strike going on. And I just want to say in this broadcaster's most humble opinion, I think there is probably never been a worse time to go see movies. The movies that are out right now, you could write a review about them without even ever seeing them. They're generic, they're predictable, and they really exist just to be something of like cotton candy for the masses, if you will. I think we saw a really rough trend with the Marvel movies that were basically the modern-day musical theater for the masses. And now you have Barbie, Oppenheimer, A Sound for Freedom, Mission Impossible, and Indiana Jones. And these are all leading the box office. And what do all of these have in common? Well, they all have to do with the past. Every single one of these movies is either from something that has, is is from something that has already existed, (laughs) right? And the reason that this is happening is not because Hollywood has run out of ideas. Hollywood can generate ideas. I think the idea that there are no ideas coming out of Hollywood is false. You can find them if you want to. But the reason There's a couple of reasons. One, these are easier to make. It's easier to keep the money churning. 
when you have a product that works, that sells, with a crew that you're familiar with, and a formula that works. Alternatively, on a more profound level, these movies that are tied to nostalgia are meant and absorb for audiences who are wanting to absorb something that they really can connect to. And this is a problem that audiences complain about. Movies aren't any good anymore. They don't make anything good anymore. Well, what does that mean when your average moviegoer is saying this or saying there's nothing I'm engaged with? There's nothing that speaks to me. So that's why this is happening. And unfortunately, I think it's a bit of a veneer for actual art. I think that these movies and discussions about them being in the discourse is lame. (laughs) I think it's lame. Whether it's Barbie or Oppenheimer, you know what these movies are going to be. You can, like I said, write a review about them without even going. But the idea that we should be connected to our past or moved by history isn't unfounded. I think this is actually correct. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with adaptations or sequels or anything like that. But I think when it doesn't have the right intention and the right artistry behind it, then you're going to have a couple movies that brought, and I know people are nuts, going nuts about Sound of Freedom. Good, good for them. You know, I hope everyone enjoys these movies when they go see them, right? You spend your money, you take your friends out, your girlfriend, your kids, whatever. Hopefully it is a good experience. But I find it really interesting that the two big movies that are in discourse right now are Barbie, which is literally about, is is derived from something plastic. And the other is a World War II movie. I mean, need I say more? Need I say more? But history is important, and being connected to history is important, which is why I wanted to go ahead and highlight Tubbs Hill. We've all enjoyed it. Hopefully, if you haven't, get down there. But who is this Tubbs fellow? And how did Tubbs Hill come to be? And what does the future of Tubbs Hill look like? We also in the show, we've got top five ways to get organized. All right. Ways to freshen up, clean up, get things together so that we can move forward. No one wants to be messy. Do you? I don't. So let's go ahead and move on to the first article here. This is from the this is from the CDA Press, written by Mr. Robert, I'm sorry, Richard uh, Sheldon. It's called The Hill That Changed the City. Born in Germany in late in the late 1850s. Wilhelm Martin Anthony August von Tubb ran away to the United States at age 17. He changed his name to Anthony August Tubbs, Tony Tubbs, 
a name that will forever live in Coeur d'Alene history. After arriving in the United States, he joined the Navy. He served several years, and on leaving the Navy, he worked on boats on the Snake and Columbia Rivers. He then moved to Coeur d'Alene. His name is first seen in a dependable historical listing when he ran for, but lost, his bid for a commissioner's post in Kootenai County. In 1884, Tony purchased 138 acres of land bounded by the lake, north to Mullen Avenue and east to 11th Street, an area that included the north and west sides of what is now Tubbs Hill and west to 3rd Street. He opened a hotel in Coeur d'Alene in the late 1880s, the Hotel de Landing, which was so named because it was close to where the lake steamers docked. He followed up two years later with a second two-story hotel east of Fort Sherman. This hotel was eventually named the Lakeside Hotel. He moved to Wardner, Idaho, where he met and married Versa Virginia Camp, his second wife. They were married for 28 years. Tony lived only briefly in Coeur d'Alene, and Versa never claimed Coeur d'Alene as her residence. Tony died in a construction accident in 1925. Rest in peace, Tony Tubbs. The hill that would eventually be given Tony's name was a prominent landmark for the early town of Coeur d'Alene. Father Desmet reported paddling his canoe down from Cataldo Mission during a flood. He found that the hill had become an island due to the flooding. The highest recorded water level of the lake was in 1894 at 2,141 feet above sea level. Tony sold the hill and attached land. Ownership was held by many who wanted to sell plots for building homes. The hill was eventually purchased in 1969 for $125,000 by the city of Coeur d'Alene from Idaho Water Company. Quote, in purchasing this hill property, the city acquired for the public forever 38 acres of land, including about 2,650 feet of shoreline of Lake Coeur d'Alene, unquote, said then Mayor Gardner. Cost to the city was approximately $13 per foot of lakeshore. Such a deal. Currently, the lake's level ranges, water level ranges, between a high of 2,128 feet in summer and a low of 2,121 feet in winter, so a difference of about seven feet. These levels are managed by the dam downstream on the Spokane River in order to avoid further flooding. Well, hey, how about that? How about that, Mr. Mr. Anthony August Tubbs, who ran away from Germany and came to the United States at the age of 17? I don't know why it says run away in this article. That's a bit peculiar, but a German, late 1850s. That's pretty neat. And he died in 1925 in a construction accident. Ooh. Rough way to go. You may have heard of the Friends of Tubbs Hill, um, so they actually have a little write-up as well. They're looking to make some changes, and quite personally, I think if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just leave, leave it the way it is, okay? Guys, Friends of Tubbs Hill, just leave your friend alone, okay? So currently, this is from their website, the foundation is working with the city and the Urban Forestry Committee on restoring native habitat on Tubbs Hill. 
This is a several step process, which includes fuel reduction, removal of non-native trees as they prohibit the growth of native species, and planting treated areas with a mixture of native trees and shrubs. Over the past several years, the foundation, in conjunction with the city, has planted approximately 200 native ponderosa pine trees, and with the completion of the re this restoration program, ponderosa pine, western white pine, Idaho state tree, western larch, and a variety of native shrubs will be planted on the hill. A more complete description of this project can be found by downloading the Tubbs Hill Restoration Brochure. Before anyone accuses me of not knowing what I'm talking about, um, I just want to say that whoever has been working on the trail, maintaining the trail, uh, you've been doing a great job. We really love Tubbs Hill. Keeping it clean. So if you're out there on Tubbs Hill, make sure you keep it clean as well. I just hope that whatever they're planning to do in the future keeps it beautiful. And it's not just a bunch of busybodies who have uh, nothing else to do because it, it's, it looks great. But hopefully everything will continue to look beautiful and perhaps even more so with the help of God. All right, on to our next article. This one is from rafttrek.com, written by Christina. The article starts with a quote, which is the definition. Hiking is an outdoor activity which involves walking in a natural environment. There you go. You know, some people like to give flack to speeches and and essays that start with a definition, like because it's sort of cliche or something like that, but I don't know. I think it's a good device to use. I, I don't mind it. What is hiking? Hiking is popular all over the world as a hobby for sport enthusiasts. This outdoor activity, enjoying the fresh air and mountains, is a part of mountaineering, which consists of walking, trekking, and climbing mountains. Apart from bringing many health benefits, hiking is also an excellent way of recreation. There is no better season than autumn for enjoying the mountains. That's true. And if you don't hike and you're wondering why autumn, it's fairly simple. When you're hiking, you get hot from moving, like exercising. So when it's a little cool outside, there's an equilibrium that happens. When your heart rate gets up, your muscles are getting some action, and that cool weather sustaining you. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. If you are a hiking lover, you've probably asked yourself how it all began. Who were the first hikers? When did hiking become pleasure? Which, which were one of the first conquered peaks? Mountaineering is a very broad term because it is not limited with rules or ideologies. It is an integral part of physical education, but not a sport because there is no competitive element. Mountaineering increases and extends knowledge, physical ability, resourcefulness, adaptability, and the ability to live in the collective. So where did this act outdoor activity originate? One could say that hiking as an outdoor, outdoor activity was developed during the Stone Age about half a million years ago, just about when mankind learned to stand upright and walk. Mm. Citation needed on that one, I think. Hiking and walking, once a means of hunting and surviving, and today, fun and recreation. It is pretty hard to say when exactly that happened. 
I'm going to go with Genesis 1. I'm going to go with Genesis chapter 1. That's that's that, <laughs> that's where I'm going to go when uh, when it exactly started. There's, of course, something which can be categorized as the next level in hiking. That are that there are accomplishments, such as the first ascents on mountains like K2, McKinley, and Everest. So here's a little history, a little timeline of some of those mountaineering milestones. 1874. Grow and these are recorded. We who knows? Maybe someone else made it up there before. But 1874, Grove. Gardiner, Walker, Sotajev, and Knubel reached the summit of the highest mountain in Europe, Elbrus. 1913, Karstens, Harper, Tatum, and Stuck reached the summit of the highest mountain in North America. Do you guys know what that is? Mount McKinley. In 1953, Norgay and Hillary reached the summit of the highest mountain in the world. I'm sure you know that one, Mount Everest. Then in 1985, Dick Bass reached Mount Everest and became the first person to reach the summits of the highest peaks of each of the seven continents. Wow. Must have been epic. No one knows the exact year that marked the beginning of hiking. It is possible that the Iceman climbed the Alps about 5,000 years ago. Okay, now we're definitely getting closer. If we need an evidence for the beginning of hiking, then the first recorded trek was that of the Roman Emperor Hadrian to Etna in 125. There were a few exceptions to various mountains during the 13th century. Between the 1400s and 1500s, many people of the Inca Empire trod to the Andes for religious reasons. No major expeditions took place in the 17th century. An ascent to the snow mountain Titus was recorded in 1744. A number of important mountain expeditions took place in the later years. It can be said that some of them are key events on the timeline of hiking. In 1874, a team of mountaineers reached Elbrus, the highest mountain in Europe. 1882, W.S. Green climbed the southern Alps of New Zealand. 1897, the highest peak of the Andes is recorded to have been climbed. 1898, the Grand Teton of the Rocky Mountains of North America was ascended. In 1913, Mount McKinley was climbed. Here it is again. 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tanzig Norgay reached the summit of Mount Everest. That is one of the most important events in the history of mountaineering. It was May 29th. Here's a quote about hiking from Sir Edmund Hillary. It's not the mountain we conquer but ourselves. A couple of expeditions to the Himalayas took place in the 19th century. Gurkha Sepoys trained in mountaineering activities were of great help in the exploration of the Asiatic mountains. Walking in the countryside. Well, according to many articles about hiking, the area, the idea of taking a hike in the countryside for pleasure developed in the 18th century and appeared because of changing attitudes to the landscape and nature associated with the romantic movement. Isn't it a good thing to live in our century? We can enjoy fresh mountain air and not be labeled as poor. <laughs> On the contrary, there is no higher power and fortune than the one you gain by walking through the nature. But hey, that's just my humble opinion. I just hope there are many of you out there who think the same. On the other hand, 
Nowadays, hiking is a multi-billion dollar industry with millions worldwide going hiking every year. So while we're on the subject, I'm just going to riff a little bit about some of the differences in hiking and different long treks in America very briefly. So as far as the lexicon goes, hiking is a walk in the woods. You can hike a mountain, but you can also take a day hike. There's also backpacking. So backpacking is when you're hiking for multiple days and at night you camp. You've got everything you need on your back in a pack and each day you cover some ground, you set up your tent, sleep there, get up, keep keep hiking. That's backpacking. Maybe one day we'll do a show on the three long treks in the U.S. The big three are the Appalachian Trail, which runs from Georgia to Maine. It's about 2,200 miles. Uh, I happen to know a great guy who finished that whole thing. Pretty amazing. A lot of people hike that one. It's uh, You usually won't go a day without seeing someone or a week without passing a road in the Appalachian Trail. That hiking season is about from March to September is when most people do it. Most people go from south to north. The other is the Pacific Crest Trail. I think that one's about 37, I'm sorry, 2,700 miles. And that one, you can take the whole thing on horseback, which is amazing. That's on the west side. So that goes from the, I think, just just the tip of Mexico all the way to, to Canada. And then the Continental Divide Trail. This is the the granddaddy of of the three. And if you finish that one, well, amazing. Uh, definitely the hardest one, both in terms of logistics and in terms of uh, hiking difficulty. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. I know I certainly did. I love hiking. It's it's one of the things that this area has much to offer in Tubbs Hill. We also have Glacier Nationals very close. The other hikes we featured here, Mineral Ridge, the ones at Quimlin. But there's just there's a bunch in some in eastern Washington as well. Absolutely wonderful. All right, well, let's go ahead and knock through our top five ways to get organized, and then we'll get out of here with the truck of the week and some things to do. But first, all right, so let me try to tie this all together. When we're out there hiking, you want to go and clear your mind, get away from it all. Part of what we want to get away from is maybe hustle and bustle, rat race, noise, this messiness, right? Think about messiness in your house. Untidiness is visual noise. And perhaps even on a microbiological level, things that collect dust is like biological noise to your body. So we go out, we hike. But what about inside? If we were to get more organized and we were to 
have a home that's always what I call, or at least close to what I call, and I know this is very difficult with kids, company ready. When you're ready to have company over. You know, when I was a kid and we were going to have company and things were getting, my mom would, you know, start cleaning. I always was a little confused. Like, well, why, why can't they just see it how it is? But now I understand. Now I understand. It isn't to impress the people or make you think that they that you always live with an immaculate home. It's a couple of things. One is because you want them to be, you want to you know, show off the beauty in, uh, of your home and, and your decorations and it be homely. But also you want them to feel relaxed and calm and not in a cluttered environment. So here's five ways to get organized. All right, number five, start with your garage or biggest project first. So there's a lot of advice out there that says, you know, start with something small and then and then build up, build up to the big one. And hey, if that works for you, you should go ahead and do that. But if it doesn't work for you, try the opposite. Try doing the biggest job first. Just climb that mountain first. And then every mountain you have to climb after that, everything you have to organize after that or go through after that is going to seem small in comparison. Plus, you'll have the weight lifted off your shoulders of already having done the biggest and most difficult project. So number four, number four is have a functional junk drawer. The junk drawer has stuff in it and you probably go into it more often than you realize, whether it's to get a couple batteries, a pen, your stapler, I don't know what's in there, but you can go on Amazon and you can buy these really inexpensive dividers. Just throw those in the junk drawer and then have some type of vague system. Oh, it's made of metal? Ah, it goes over there. Oh, it's a pencil? Okay, it goes in there. Oh, it's, I have no idea, it goes in there. You can give your junk drawer its own junk drawer. True, or junk bin, I guess. But you should do that. Uh, I'm sure Walmart, you could go get some right now. Stop listening to this and go Walmart, get organized. <laughs> go buy yourself some, some drawer dividers. All right, number three. Go through pile after go through pile. So don't feel like you have to get everything done at once. If you've got a big stack of something, all right, you've got one go through pile, make it three. Just go through everything once and anything that's trash, throw it away. And now you have another go through pile. But guess what? It's smaller than the next one. Maybe you can divide that one up. Okay, this goes into the bedroom. This one goes into the office. This one goes here. Now you've got three go through piles that are divided again in your closet, your office, whatever. And you just have go through pile after go through pile. That way, every time you look at it, it's smaller, it's more organized than it was before, and you've made progress and you'll feel good about it. Number two, do it with someone else. Believe it or not, this is a great activity for couples, even if it's only minimally speaking, having the other person involved. Not only are you gonna have ownership over the work that's done and feel good about it together, but it can be relaxing for yourself. And sometimes when you're going through stuff, you need the other person's help. And also there could be little moments that you, you know, find something you hadn't seen in a while, you get to share together, put on some music, a podcast like this one in the background, go to town, just absolutely kill it with your someone else. Could be a kid, could be a parent, could be it could be anybody. All right. The number one way to get organized, stop buying things. Just stop it. Stop 
buying more things. There's some rules out there that say, oh, well, to get organized, just why don't you go ahead and for every one thing you buy, throw away two other things. No, just stop buying things and throw those two other things away. Stop living in filth. And you don't have to be a complete minimalist, but just stop it. Okay, get your life together. This is North Idaho, and we are entering a new eon, all right? It's happening, so get get it together, people. Those are your top five ways to get organized, and God bless you. I hope you do. I know it's actually not easy. I think you could find the time if you want to, but it's, it's more one of those things that we procrastinate because, ah, we don't want to do it. But it's kind of like working out. The heaviest weight is the first is the first one. Once you start to do it, then you you get in a groove. And hey, time-wise, it may take you a really long time, but at least you're going to feel great. And that way, when the next person works, says, hey, what have you been up to? You'd be like, I got a clean garage. What do you got? <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and talk about some things to do and our trek of the week. Hopefully everything is sort of gelling together here with the opening about being connected to our past, the history of Tubbs Hill, why we should, why it's important to get organized. So fun thing to do this week, if you don't know, now you do, at McEwen Park every Friday night at 7.30 this summer, 7.30 till 10 p.m. at McEwen Park is a pickup dodgeball game. It's absolutely free, and it's a great way to meet new people, get some exercise, have some fun, and enjoy the great outdoors. That is awesome. What what kind of wonderful place do you live in where there's a pickup dodgeball game on Friday night? And you know what? You don't even have to go play. It's at the tennis courts. You can, If you're out on a date Friday night, just go swing by, watch a little bit. It's fun. Dodgeball is a great game for everyone, no matter your skill level. That's that's one of the things that's really good about dodgeball. Kickball, too, is like that. Just easy to pick up, get it going, and, and have fun. So that's 7.30 Friday nights at McEwen Park. Pick up dodgeball. So that's our Trek of the Week, place you should head to, McEwen Park. This is from NorthIdaho.com. McEwen Park. The park boasts the city's largest playground, a colorful splash pad, tennis slash pickleball court pickleball man that is that is a thing isn't it uh basketball court off-leash dog park covered pavilion to host events for up to 200 people a waterfront concession stand restroom facility seawall overlook grand plaza veterans memorial and four acres of open grassy lawn there's a two-third mile trail around the park a dog park Osprey Nest, and some fine public art pieces. And I will say McEwen Park probably has the best public art in Coeur d'Alene. As far as, I'm not very, I'll, full disclosure, I'm not very familiar with all the public art in this beautiful state, North Idaho, but I do know it in Coeur d'Alene. And I can vouch for the, the one, the art at, McEwen Park, unless it stems to that, <laughs> unless it stems to a few statues. There's one in particular that I don't know could use some work or be completely take, taken down. Okay, let's go ahead. That is the show. I'm going to leave you guys with this a quote from none other than Henry David Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau. Hope you guys put this one in your heart. I took a walk in the woods 
and came out taller than trees. Beautiful. All right, guys, that is the show. If you've enjoyed this program, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing the show on your preferred listening platform. If you would like to contact the show, again, feel free to reach out at cdaheights at gmail.com. Would love to hear your feedback. Also, if you want something read on the show, that's the place to re- that's the place to reach out, cdaheights at gmail.com. I'm Patrick. I'll be back with you next Monday. I hope you have a great week. Be real. Be beautiful. And be good. <laughs>